And we're going to continue first in Yirmiya Lamed Ches Pasuk Chaf, where we left off. One of the last desperate conversations between Yirmiya Navi and Sitkiyo. I say desperate because we mentioned yesterday Yirmiya was trying to convince Sitkiyo that at this point, if the Chorban is not going to be averted, at least surrender and it will be more honorable for you. Now, we're not used to thinking of the words surrender and honorable in the same sentence. It's sort of an oxymoron. Over here, the Navi is going to promise him, B'Shem Hashem, that it is far better in terms of the two alternatives. He will tell him that you will live and your children will live and you will go to Gullis and the word flourish is probably not an understatement. The community will be very strong and they will be left alone to develop and to learn and to come back. They'll do that anyway, but it'll be a severe handicap if the malchus doesn't continue the way it should. Not going to be an official melech there, but he's going to be in charge and it's going to help them. And he will survive and his children will survive. The alternative is none of the above, and he's going to go to Bavo without his family. Family will be killed, he will be blind. be a very, very different outcome. And that is what he's trying to plead right now. Let's go to, go back to Pasigetes, actually. This is when Yemio describes that the surrender will be accepted by Melech Bovel, and Tzitkiyo voices his grave concern that not only will his men, his immediate cabinet, try to assassinate him if he tries to surrender. When he gets there, the Yidden, who already defected, will torture him. Yemio is not giving him a bracha. He's saying this B'Shem Hashem. Lo yitenu shmana b'koel Hashem l'asher nidei ve'elacha v'yitev l'cha u'sechi nafshecha. Please listen and with this you will survive. Not stam survive. V'yitav l'cha sechi nafshecha v'yitev l'cha. It'll be good. Good is relative. It'd be better if there wasn't a korban and he stays in Israel, but It'll be good in terms of uh, your ability to lead and to help the Yidden. Chaf Aleph, ve'im ma'ein atah lotzei, z'zeh adabar asher herani Hashem. And if you don't surrender, this honorable surrender, hineh cholon Hashem asher nisharu beves melech Yehuda. This is Yermio seeing this in his picture of the Navua of Plan B, which is interesting. Every Navua is like this. The Navua Lara is if you don't do tshuva. Here, sounds like he's describing the tshuva at this point won't necessarily avert the Khurban, but for you and your children and the Malchus and Amela for Klai Yisrael, they're two very different pictures. And he gets a Navua for each one. One is, you come, you survive, the surrender is accepted, you're treated well, your family's treated well, and you go to Bavel. The second one is Pasach 
And they're being arrested. Uh, they will be killed. The rest will be taken into slavery. And the women, this is considered an extreme bizillion. Even if they're not killing the women, they're going to obviously capture them and take them to Bavel and they're at their complete mercy. And they're telling you, you'll be witnessing all this, which is the worst torture. Which means your enemies tricked you, your advisors fooled you. The Yitzhar fooled themselves. And then they fooled you. And and this way they overpowered you. Anche, page three. Shlomecha, these are the people who were supposed to be on your side. Your advisors, your cabinet. Now you're sinking in the, uh, the quicksand of your, the mud of your own feet. And this caused you to do everything completely wrong. Achar means backwards. They'll be brought out. This is a veiled reference to what we know from Chazal, that he had a very elaborate escape route underground, and he's going to run through all the tunnels and then come out, and they're going to be waiting for him. And the city will now be completely destroyed, and you won't be saved, and your family won't be saved. Very, very stark contrast in the two possible visions that he's putting forward. You uh, want to dance for Is there still a possibility, because we know that this year, Nobi said one thing, this year did another thing. Is there still a possibility that, that this is a message that Tzitziyahu would say, you know what, everything you say is correct. If the Melech overrules what the Nobi, Hashem should do this year, and I, I can still say five, so if I go ahead and do what I think is right. Not really. He's laying out very clearly two possibilities. He, it sounds like the city will be taken over either way. That's why I emphasize as Irazaz Tisvabesh, you could touch. means if you don't surrender, you're going to be killed or you're going to be blinded, your family's going to be killed. There's going to be absolutely nothing left. And if you do surrender, then I can't imagine if you do surrender, then Vesemitish will still stand. Doesn't sound like that. And it certainly doesn't sound like he has the right, although he will, he won't listen, but it doesn't say that he has the right to put forth a third possibility that we can still do tshuva and I'm going to fix it up because his own advisors are Rishayim and as mentioned in the Pasuk, they're not giving you good advice whether B'mezid, B'shegeg, their own false prophets are fooling them, whatever the case may be, you're going to be facing the music, so to speak, and uh, the people who will be in the enemy camp, Yidin and Gayim, will be pointing out to you, this is the worst design. Not only did you lose, but you lost because you were listening to the wrong people. So you can't override the Dvar Hashem. You're asking as his power as Melech? You can't. Well, he's giving him the two choices. The Nevul Tev over here is if you surrender honorably, you're going to live and go to above all the covered. That, that is the Nevul Tev. You're suggesting an even better one. Well, uh, there, 
there are a few choices over here. You know, you, you uh, given a choice under the circumstances by your parents. Uh, do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? But we have to uh, teach you something. So I don't think the child can say, "Well, I'd like option number three. Why don't we just leave the whole thing alone?" At this point, uh, Melech uh, can't override much in the first place. Melech, as we explained in the early days of the Shir, has no power to enact laws that go against the Din Sanhedrin. Speaking of balance of power, the balance is in the hands of the uh, halacha interpreted by the Sanhedrin. The Melech really has little room to maneuver. He can raise taxes, and even that he has to explain that he's not doing it to line his pockets. Kesef Loyabin. He has very little power. And over here, he's talking to the Navi. He knows he's the Navi Adar. He knows that he's the only, one of the only three Naviim that are saying the truth. He's not even going to suggest in the pushback that we have in the next Pasuk, he's not even going to object. He's not going to suggest a third possibility. He's just going to say, we're going to pretend this conversation never existed. Remember, he called him under secrecy of darkness. He realizes if his men find out he's talking to Yemiya, they're going to try to kill him. And Yirmiya's first response was, why should I tell you the truth again? Either you're going to kill me or they're going to kill me, and then you're not going to listen, and what, what good is it? And the Mala said, no, 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 I want to hear the truth. And he, on a, on a certain level, he was a big tzaddik, deep down, he wanted to hear it, and now we heard it. So what's the response? Pasuk Havdalah, Vayermet Tzitkiyo, El Yirmiyo, Ish, Al Yeda, Bitvarim, Eile, Velosamus. I promised I won't kill you, I'm not going to kill you, make sure nobody ever knows about this conversation. Klaisol is now reading this conversation, but Yemiyo is not interested in telling other people. He's the only person who can make a decision over here and do something is the king, and if the king doesn't do it, his advisors are certainly not interested in listening to Yemiyo. They're trying to kill him all the time. So he gives him a plan. He says, make sure nobody ever finds out, and if they ask you, the Sarim were very, very focused on Yemiyo, and they keep accusing him of being a renegade, and selling the nation down. You can imagine the names they called him, none of which are true. He's trying to save Clay, so obviously. And if rumor gets out that we spoke, the word no here is interesting. If they come to you and they say, please tell us what the conversation was about, since when are they so nice? Hagida, no? They're being nice. You ever hear somebody say please in the sentence and the other option is we're going to kill you if you don't cooperate? That's what this reads. Please tell us what you told the king. Don't hold anything back. And we won't kill you, meaning if you hold something back, we will kill you. What did he tell you? So this is the script being given over from So If they catch you and it's clear that they figured out that you were speaking to me, you've got to tell them something. Tell them you just came to plead your case that the Melech shouldn't return you to Beis Yenison in the jail there because you're going to wither and die, and you're asking for mercy, and he sent you back anyway. A very plausible tale that is not true. This is a classic example. You can lie to Mnei Dach Yishalom, you can certainly lie to Mnei Sakhans and you can certainly lie to people who don't deserve the truth. 
these Rashaim who are trying to kill him. So the mouse is helping him out. Here's the script. You never saw me tonight. And if they catch you and they know that we spoke, then this is what you say that we spoke about. And sure enough, it happens. The good news within the horrible news is that they believe the story because nothing else was heard. In other words, there was no spy. They got enough information that there was probably a meeting that he couldn't get out of, but there was no device planted there that picked up the actual conversation and they let him go. Of course, they didn't let him go. They let him go back to jail. And there he stays until the time Yerushalayim is conquered. So he stays in jail the entire time. Nebuchadnezzar sends his hordes and his officers with clear instructions. Make sure that the Rabbi Navi stays alive. Make sure he doesn't get hurt. And make sure you rescue him. And everything else was in their hands to slaughter and pillage and do whatever they're going to do. But he remains alive, barely. And the Pasuk clearly says he never sees Sitkiyo Amalek again. And he never has another chance to convince him. This was the last conversation. Uh, it's reported in Yirmiyah. We're going to see it in Malachim now. Uh, maybe it's better. We're not going to get to the Chorban before Tisha B'Av. Maybe that's better. Maybe reading about it, we're reading about it anyway, but solidifying it is not a good omen, even though we don't have too many good omens at this time of year. But the last parak that we're going to get to is actually about Gedalia and Sam Gedalia. So I think we're going to get there before Sam Gedalia. Uh, so we will um, we'll see where it goes. We don't have... Uh, speed is not the... Point. It's the understanding of what's going on. Let's go back to Malachim. Go back to Malachim Bays, Perik Chavhei, Pasuk Yutes. Going back to Psukim. Everybody have a Malachim? Should be plenty over there. Y'all see how you're doing on the uh, discovery? No change, meaning they, they claim they're going to send it to you. Uh huh. So it's uh, coming soon. What? If it doesn't, in a couple of weeks, we'll. Uh huh. They're looking. What? Okay. It's hard to find good shaftim. Dusty's been looking for months, and uh, we're working on it. But you have a little bit of uh, extension. Exactly. Right. It's hard to find. We'll be on it for a while. Please check your. Email and short communications because this is might be the last shear or probability till the beginning of Elul. Uh, next Sunday morning, unfortunately, is Tisha B'av, unless we daven harder to cancel it, and we will have the running uh, discussions on the kinnis And uh, the assumption is a lot of you won't be here. Every single person tells me they will be. We'll try to maybe discuss Shabbos Nachamu, but otherwise... We'll continue Mitzvah Shem and Elul. Malachim Beis, Perichav Hei, Pasig So this description, I'm just going back to the description of Tzitkiyo because this is a classic example of where if you read a Pasig and Avi and don't learn it very well, be and you're going to get not only the wrong impression, the opposite 
impression of what she's supposed to get. Describing Tzitkiyo Amalav, Hashem Yo-Yokim. Yo-Yokim was really one of the bigger Rishayim of Malchi Beis David. Tzitkiyo was one of the bigger Sadikim, not like a Chizkiyo or an also Yoshafot or David Ishlomo, because he can't really get it done. But in terms of the essence of what he would like to do and what his neshama was dictating and what he understood but felt powerless, Titkio is in a unique category. And the next Pusik sort of tells us that. That's the remembers in the next Pusik is that he, despite his good intentions, really couldn't get it done. And that's part of the Gzeira. Ki al af Hashem And one of the grave tactical errors that he makes. He thought he was doing the right thing to assert the malucha, not for his own gaiva, but for the Kish Hashem Shabai. If you recall, Chazal tell us, the Pasuk here says he was married by Melech Bobo. He's married against the Vuchadnezer. Happened was, Sitkio was known for his Godless, and it was even recognized by Nebuchadnezzar. And when he took over the area the first time, he appointed Tzitkiyo to be the chief delegate, the highest level official over the other kings that were conquered. So he was almost like a second to Nebuchadnezzar. He wasn't in the country, but he had his deep respect. And he said, you can come in here whenever you want, discuss whatever you want, just drop by. And he did that, and he was a household name. He dropped by once during lunch. Lunch in Europe, and probably in Bavo, the, was the main Suda. It doesn't say whether it's lunch or dinner, but picture the scene, assuming he wasn't coming at night, people didn't travel at night, and he's having his main Suda, which is Fleshik's, and he's devouring a rabbit alive. So um, this is more than Altam Vareach and Litvakeach. This is almost like the fellow who, to Rachman Islam, keep up his wishes, uh, drinks his Negevas every morning. Nebuchadnezzar always had to remain sharp and cruel and so you are what you eat and you are how you eat and it sounds like from his measure Nebuchadnezzar did this not just because he liked live rabbits I would guess the barbecue version is better if you like rabbits why is he ripping a rabbit to shred the answer is if you continue to act like that you'll be the behemoth that Nebuchadnezzar wants himself to be and as he's eating Sitkio happens to walk in for one of his meetings and he sees him, and it was so bad, and it looked so ridiculous that even Nebuchadnezzar was slightly embarrassed. He was acting like a behemoth, and he's caught in the act. But why was he doing it in the first place? What's wrong with the barbecue? They're short of uh, staff members for chefs. The answer is that uh, he wants to ingrain his horrible midas. So he tells Sitkiyo, he says, you know, uh, let's just keep this lunch date between us. You don't have to describe to people what's on the menu. And he was so focused on it, he forced him to take a shua that he's not going to tell anybody. If you're cruel and you're trying to ingrain your cruel midas, so why not let the people know? The answer is, he wants the people to know he's dangerous. But even in those times, even with Nebuchadnezzar, as crazy and evil as he was, he wanted this veneer of, you know, Mr. Nice Guy, get it done, I'm a conqueror, but don't take it personally. And we're just helping the world grow. So he made him swear, and he took a shvua, and later on, Tzitkiyo was so bothered by this, he had such a yetzer, well, yetzer taif, he felt, yetzer hara, it turns out, 
to tell the other kings under his command to let the world know that he was shayl on the shvua, which in halacha is doable but difficult. You can be shayl on a neder, it's difficult also. Shvua is even more difficult. And what he told Chazal will be my conjecture. I'll get to that in a moment. And they're matter shvua. And he ended up telling the other ones, uh, general rule in life, if you're ever appointed to be the lieutenant over the underlings who were formerly kings themselves and they're from the Akum Persasian, don't trust them so much. Because he told them, and he told them in the context, is that this guy's ruling over us and he's mamash a monster and an animal and we should rebel. And they stood there and said, yeah, and then they told Nebuchadnezzar. And that was the beginning of the end. Why did he have this Yetzirah to Yetzirah to be Megalod? It's made a shvua, so you don't have to tell. Everybody knows Nebuchadnezzar is not a nice guy. He eats rabbits, doesn't eat rabbits. What was the... So, Tzitkiyo, I can imagine, in his mind, is saying that, like his advisors were trying to convince the population at large, and Tzitkiyo, that... It's not too late, and we don't really have to do tshuva, we just have to stick up for Jewish pride, and we have to defend the nation, and that was the problem. They felt that was enough tshuva. That wasn't tshuva, that's Jewish pride, but it's false Jewish pride. Jewish pride is when you keep the din, and you do tshuva, and you let a koshbaruchu paskin kaviyachol, how well you're doing in your ruchniyas, don't make it up yourself. And they had Tzitkiyo in a way convinced otherwise, and he felt this is such a shantar and avla, this guy's running the world, it's a chil Hashem, which it was, and we've got to do something about it. I'm the Melech Yisrael. I've got to do something about it. And I'm going to start the rebellion. And he rebelled. And it didn't last very long. And now Nebuchadnezzar is coming back. And if and when he catches Sitkiyo, it's interesting. His plan was to torture him and pay him back anyway. Yermio, we just heard in another Yermio, that there's a chance that he can go and Nebuchadnezzar will forgive him for this if he surrenders the right way, which he's not going to do. What started this whole thing is Yimut said Kiel Bamel Bavel. The Pussy says, Why would he do a thing like that? Things were bad enough. It doesn't make sense. It's a sensible, intelligent tzaddik like Tzitkiel. So the Pussy says, Ki al Afashem Haisib Yishlaim Behuda Ashli Chasam El Panov. The Xera was that Yishlaim is going to be destroyed and therefore people will do strange things and it's going to happen. And that was the Xera. And had he been able to rise above this and do real tshuva, he would have had siyat tashmai, but he didn't. Yes? It seems like Hashem orchestrated that Tzitkiyo would even see that because that's... Yes, as a big Nisayan. If he hadn't seen it, maybe he wouldn't have rebelled. He still had Bechira, though, at that point. It just was getting... The Bechira window was shrinking and shrinking. It was getting more difficult. But yes, Haladavrahu, of all the times to walk in, lunch lasted 35 minutes. He has to walk in then. But the amazing thing is, he was appointed as lieutenant of everybody and he had access to the extent that he could walk in without knocking, which normally you don't do. And there are no guards, and he told everybody in his cabinet, Nebuchadnezzar mentioned that Sitkiel's really, um, I, he's a good guy, and I really like him, and I think I could trust him. Just let him in whenever he comes, and punk, this is when he has to walk in. Not by dessert, not by, you know, that's correct. It's providential, and that was a big Nisayan, and Nisayan didn't pass. And the Pusik saying part of the problem over here is due to the many, many, many Averas for the last number of generations. There's still some Bechira, but the window is uh, closing, and it's a very, very difficult Nisayim. Uh, now, the Nisayim is going to be, as what we just learned in Yirmiya, is whether or not, when it's come out over, can you save something. Yes? Uh, the last pasuk we saw was pasuk at the end of Perich Avdala. We're starting Perich Avdala now. Vayihi, Perich Avdala, pasuk Avdala. Vayihi, b'shnas hachis, l'mocha, b'chesh, hachis, b'esel, chesh, b'nev, l'chanetzim, al-bavo, hu, v'chol, chel, v'yishalayim, v'yichan, al-la, v'yivna, al-la, d'ayek, saviv. And he's building towers, remember, Yishalayim, as you go today. 
If you don't have modern machinery and you don't have planes, those walls are pretty high and very intimidating. And they fortified them, and the sieges in the old days were long processes because you had to just stay there and everybody would have to starve before you could start climbing the walls. Otherwise, they'd just throw things at you and shoot you down. So he's doing this the slow, methodical way. And Yivnu allowed Dayek Saviv. He's starting to build these towers to be able to attack at an even level. They did this Yushalayim, the second Chorban. They did this at, at Beitar. They did this at Matsada. This was the slow, sure way of doing it. And he lays siege, and no one's going in, no one's going out, which means the food supply is going to dwindle. Vatava, Ir, Bematzar, which means not only are people starving, but the soldiers on the wall can't really guard or repel because it's hard for them to move. Which means, similar to Korban Bayashani, if there's any food left, it's going to be the wealthy and the powerful. Ultimately, they're going to run out as well. Uh, yes, yeah, so this is, this is coming toward, as I mentioned, these last couple of prokin are... Uh, are coming to the actual Hurban, and we'll see that the Melech has built many, many years ago. The Melech has his tunnel avenue of escape, and escape is only going to work with the best laid plans if a Baruch Hu is Maskim. Pasik Dala Vitivaka, Ievacha Anche, Mahama, Laila de Ashar, base. And him and his men are running underground to what they hope is a very distant place. And when they come out, no one's going to be around. Remember the Chazal, that Takash Baruch, who was Mazmin, the Tzvi, that they should be hunting and the Tzvi should keep running away. And Rashi brings it down. If you take a look at Rashi in Dalid. From the palace Ad Arvis Yericha, which means the tunnel ran for miles till Yericha. And he's running through the cave. And parallel to that, there's a Tzvi running on top. And the soldiers see it, they give chase to the Tzvi, and they can't catch it, and they almost catch it, and they try again, they're running and running. Reports that what happened over here is that you can run but you can't hide and if Hashem wants you to be caught there'll be something the soldiers thought it was like we've hunted deer before them they never keep getting away and this is over and over and over and it went on for a long time until they finally catch the deer and unfortunately it's at Kiyo HaMelech and everybody's running in various directions and they capture the king Notice how Nebuchadnezzar is not on the front lines. He's staying in Rivlosa. Simple explanation, this live rabbit-eating, ferocious soldier-emperor knows on some level HaKadosh Baruch who is still in charge and the people who tried to conquer Yushalayim last time didn't fare very well. 
and he's not interested in finding out the hard way. Interesting, for a Rosh Musha like this, uh, the good news is they don't make Rosham like this anymore. Well, I don't know if that's good news or bad news, but the Rosham of old knew, that made a bigger Rosham. If you know a Baruch Hu, Meskav and Limrud boy, that makes it worse, not better in a way. But he was scared. So he said, you know what? He was rather, why don't you go ahead and conquer the city? I'll stay here. You just bring me Tzitkiel and let me know the job is done. Uh, but he's too nervous to go to Yushalayim, as in what happened to Sancheriv. So they bring him, which means he dons him in a very, very tough way because he's still angry. We had a deal. I gave you access. I'm meeting the rabbit to make a shvua. Uh, what's going on over here? I heard that you uh, told everybody about my uh, misbehavior. Rashi Vidabu. Now, this is, again, he had many things to say. Rebellion is rebellion, but he especially was upset that I asked him to make a shvua, and it was despite Sifkiyo's best intentions. This was a chil And he's going to torture and kill the Sanhedrin for this also. They should not have matted the shvua. Even though Al-Pi Alocha, they had every right to. Sifkiyo said, I have charata and I have a Pesach, and the people have to know what a monster he is, and we're going to rebel, and we're going to get everybody to rebel. It's a great plan. The only problem is... Uh, Sounds like he asked the Sanhedrin whether he came out to the Shua. It doesn't sound like they asked the Navi whether in the grand plan of Akash Baruch scheme of things, Kaviyachal, this is going to work. Um, again, technically they had a right to Yamatar it. And not everything that's mutter should be done. Rashi, Yidabi Ita Mishpat, Nizvakeach Imoy Al Hashua. His first argument was, what'd you do? You promised and you didn't keep it? And I was embarrassed, and I started hearing rumors. The way it came to him was not that convoluted. As soon as he told the kings under his jurisdiction, since Gil had a meeting, he says, this is it, we have him, we're going to embarrass him, we're going to tell the whole world, and everybody's going to rebel against him. Well, never got past go, because they immediately went to Benachonetzer and said, this Jewish king you appointed over us, you think he's on your side, you think he's your friend. If you're going to plan a rebellion you first have to make sure that it's Rasen Hashem, that it has every chance of succeeding if you do the right thing. When I say that, every chance of succeeding, if Hashem wants it, they'll succeed. I'm thinking of Bakhofa. Uh, Bakhofa, according to the Ramam, had every chance of succeeding, and he had tremendous success the first couple of years. But you've got to stay on the derech, and you've got to stay kof of the das terror, and you can't become a Balgaiva. And then, if it was in the original plan, so to speak, as an option, Akash Baruch will give you siyat deshmaya. If you start asking Hashem not to help or hinder you, you're going to be a big trouble. Over here, it never even got started because the Pusik says the Xerah was the city's going to be destroyed. The question is, how much are we going to save at this point? And he had no right to do this. Yeah. On paper, right? On, well, all the alliances we had, interesting you picked that country. All the alliances we mentioned in the last number of Prokim with the Mitzrayim, uh, all of them were pie in the sky and they didn't work and the Kosh who made sure even Derech Neis one of them they started coming to the rescue and then they noticed Hashem put the things floating in the sea and they said what's that? Said, oh those must be the dead bodies from Kriyas Yamsuf and they said these are the people who are going to help Kosh Baruch Hu fixed it from, the, from very early on that this alliance wasn't going to work so if it's Nigzer it's Nigzer Normally, you don't have access to a Navi post-Chorban, certainly post-Bayashani. We don't have access to Navim to know whether it's going to work. And therefore, you have to ask the Shailan, depend on Das Teirah. We made a brief mention of 
the uh, revolt in the Warsaw Ghetto. Many had very hard to know what Menachem Zemba said. There are those who say that he said revolt because uh, they clearly, at that point, they understood they're going to kill everybody, Ramazel, take down some Nazis. And there's certainly what to be said for that notion. And there are others who say that that is not correct. And uh, in hindsight, more people died because of that, because the people who were singled out to be executed were the young, the strong, the ones who fought that um, fight. And they're the ones most likely to have survived. Yaakov, I think you mentioned after we made mention of that, that most of the people from Warsaw went to Shabinka, and that was a death camp. They didn't keep anybody alive. They killed everybody as soon as they came. So... You know, that would be a riot in the first direction. It's hard to know. It's quite possible. The standard way of being set over is that Menachem Zemba, who was the ranking gadol, not only in the Warsaw Ghetto, but of his age group in Europe, Bechlal. And he was there till the very end. And he gave his askama. It doesn't mean everybody fighting was from, but there were enough people who wanted to know, should we do this or should we figure out some means of escape for the Yechidim who can? That's a extremely painful uh, decision. We know historically what the decision was. The question is, did Menachem Zemba say yes? Did he push it? Did he, was he not consulted? It's hard to know because very few people survived. But there, there there's no Ervatumim, there's no Navi, so you ask uh, the ranking Pesach there, what do you do? And if the uh, Psak is, I have no problem with that. If the Psak is that if everybody's going to be killed, we might as well kill as many Amalekim as we can, then fine. Then that's, that's certainly understandable. Over here, Tzitkyo was still trying, but he didn't realize how much of an influence his advisors, who were not very from, were having on him. And this whole notion that, yeah, we can still fight our way out, and we've got to figure this out, and we have a malchus, we have a government, and we're self-reliant in Kechavei Simyadi, and he didn't realize how that poison got into his mind. And as we saw from where we started today in the Shir, Yermia was begging him, listen, this is not going to work. Let's go to the Pelagates. We'll stop here at Pasuk Yudches. Uh, actually, Pasuk, uh, Pasuk Zion. Yeah, Pasuk Zion is really horrific. We'll save that for next time. Uh, yeah. It's not Kriya Shema. If you can. And sometimes it's warranted. I, the... Again, there aren't too many examples where we were fighting and anybody was interested in helping out. And it worked. But if, if you have the skama from uh, the ranking Gadol or from the Umatumim, then that's considered normal Hishtadlis. But uh, here he made a shvua. What? Uh, yeah, but that, uh, that doesn't really even come, unfortunately, into the conversation because Malchi Yisrael were certainly not going to ask Yad Hashemai. They were still heavy into Avodah At least over here at Sitkiyo, Be'etzim was a tzaddik. That's, uh, they didn't have that problem. He just couldn't fix up what was going on around him. I wouldn't want to be in his place. This is the worst part of the... Uh, of the Churban was the fact that, ironically, and there's a reason for this, the last person standing, it's almost easier for us if the last king standing was a Russian Rusha, and we just say, we understand, just get rid of everybody. Kosh Baruch Hu put Sirkiel over here because there was a chance that more would be saved. That's the, that's the irony of it. Resh Lamed Zion. Let's go to 
the bottom, I want to start a new one. We were talking about the Chorban yesterday, and Ramesh's Tshuva, where Ramesh brings down the Gemara, that part of the Gzairs after the Chorban was not to listen to any music unless it's a Mokom mitzvah, like a Chasna, Bar Mitzvah, Babi a Siyam, or something like that. And the fact that Ramesh says, well, nowadays it should be us all year, and for some reason people aren't doing it, at least it should be kept during Sphere in the three weeks, which we try to keep. And it should be very doable. And the fact that the rest of the year it's a little schwach. So um, I mentioned the heter might be that people aren't as strong as they used to be and they needed to be picked up. And if it's a kosher song, if it's a kosher song, and there are plenty of them out there, I should use it for the Ali and Ruchniya. So we consider that a makam mitzvah. And the fact that over the last uh, 50 years it weaned many people off of the really bad stuff, which is also to listen to. Perhaps that is what the Elam is relying on. Ramesha knew all that and still wasn't convinced, uh, as you see in this tshuva, just trying to put forth the possibility for the Minig Elam. But the music should be kosher. It should be music that gives people an aliyah, because that's the heter uh, for the Maka Mitzvah. And I wanted to go to Chain because it's part of what we were just discussing, and that is, who do you listen to? Who do you say yes to? And when do you bow to peer pressure? Which was the difficult, difficult Nisayin of Tzitkiyo. You learn Navi as we're learning it. You, you almost like to scream into the Navi, and you know, can somebody tell Tzitkiyo that he's such an incredible force and he can use it? Why doesn't he just listen? Well, the answer is we had a person like that. His name was Yirmiya, and we wouldn't have done a better job. So even though it's painful to see, but there was nobody more eloquent, nobody more convincing than Yermio Anavi. Lest you think, by the way, Yermio, um, besides Sitkio, is probably the most tragic figure here, if you can use the uh, borrowed expression, Lahavdil, because here is a person who knows the MS, gets an Avua all the time about what's about to transpire, and unfortunately he would rather die. Unfortunately, live to see the Purban and be standing in Yushalayim in a gated chutzer watching it. Which is why next week when you read the Kinnis and uh, you see everything that's written about Yemiyo, why there's so much pain. There's, there's nothing more painful than... He doesn't want to say, I told you so. He wants them to listen. So was it a total failure? Of course not. What we don't see, because that's not the theme of Tisha over the Nine Days, we don't see is how many thousands or tens of thousands of people listen to Yermio and did tshuva and saved themselves from the family. Why do I say that? Well, first of all, we know that every Navi made a Rashim. It's just not the Rashim to the extent he wanted. He wanted to avert the Chorban. That wasn't Bashert. We have every reason to believe there are always Heligayin who are watching and listening and looking to do the right thing. One of those groups, Tzitkiyo, made mention in Absukim in Yermio, Sitkiel said, I don't want to go because there were people already went over to, to the enemy and they're going to make fun of me. What was that all about? Who were those people? The answer is there were many thousands of Yidin who understood from Yirmiya that this is not going to work and we shouldn't be fighting. And they didn't fight and they left. I'm not saying all of them are Sadiqim, some of them were just scared and they left because they didn't want to be in Shalim. Okay. But there were, I would imagine, many, many good who went over because it was the right thing to do. And Tzitkiel was worried that they're going to make fun of me and be handed over to them because I'm wrong and they were right and they're from and they're looking at me as the Baal Avera. So Yemiel said, don't worry about that. You're doing tshuva now, you'll be fine. 
I'll be with you, Hashem is with you, more importantly, and everything will be fine. But that was the difficulty. There were plenty of people already on the other side. And there are plenty of people who got above all, they build an incredible community, it passes, passes the Messiah around there, learning Torah and they're teaching Torah. That's all the handiwork of Yermiel Anavi. So you shouldn't think, even though he's left standing watching the Churban, you shouldn't think that all his rushes were for naught. Uh, the problem is when you're listening to the wrong people and catering to their line. Let's see the bottom line here. Chain is a fascinating midah. There are people who can be saying the same message, and the message is correct, and one person gets his way, the other person doesn't, because he has chain. Chain is something that's given by a coach Baruch Hu, a very individual basis, so much so that Peskim that say that when you're traveling and you say Tilus Aderach, you should say your own Tilus Aderach. You shouldn't have somebody who see everybody, because we talk about part of the Tfilah, we're asking Hashem that we should have chain of Chesed Arachim. Chain is a very individual thing. That's a milo. When you're asking for chayin, you're asking for a personal gift. One person's chayin has nothing to do with the other person's chayin. It's a very individual thing, and you can't explain it. It's Hashem With that said, if you're in the car and one person is holding the sitter and everybody else is going to wing it, you can have one person be medzi everybody else, or you can pass around the sitter. But there is a milo of saying yourself because of that nekuda. Top line. The other one saying the same thing, and it falls flat, and the other people feel that it's cumbersome, and it's not true, and it's just weighing on them, and they're not going to take it seriously. Again, he starts off the positive thing. This is when you have a good message, a message that's positive, not against the din, and they should be listening to you. But to get your way, you have a great business plan, and this is good for you financially, good for them, and not everybody listens to your brilliant ideas. So you need chain to get messages across and to be able to provide leadership and to be able to have people join you in something that's good. You still need the chain. Try to say something that will find favor if it's correct. The next paragraph is going to be not to try to curry favor when it's not correct and just go ahead with what everybody else is saying and doing when you know it's wrong, which is the Nisayan, because everybody wants to be liked and everybody wants to be popular. And if you're saying something, let's call it parv, and you think that people are going to have tainas and animosity, so don't float the idea, don't say it. There's an Indian, if all things are equal, to find favor and to have friends and to be popular. If it's either a good idea or it's parv, then if you think it's going to go over, say it. However, vein emes, and this is the struggle that most people have at various points of their life or their day. When you're in the office, this is a minute-to-minute Nisayan. They're talking about most of which is Chazer Treif. And if you don't join the argument, you don't join the discussion, the debate, you don't listen in, you don't pretend like you're moving or they think you're some sort of nerd outcast and you feel it's going to stop you from climbing the corporate ladder. And on paper, sometimes it looks like it does, but you can't participate in Kol Te'eva even listening and smiling, 
when it's connected Ras and Hashem. That includes listening to things you shouldn't listen to, listening to jokes which are mostly off color or Lashon Hara, Metzi Shemra, and the like, and participating in what's going on in the culture of which you find yourself in just to be able to fit in. That's called flattery, and to do that when it's against the din is a serious avera, and not good for anybody's ruchnius. To get in good with the boss, all that they should get some more money, or what they think will give them success in their careers or their chevroshaf. And it's a difficult nisayan, not only the office, but sometimes you hear things when you're home. And no, you shouldn't be smiling. What was said was horrific, and you should be objecting. And that's, besides the chiyah, v'chiyah, t'chiyah, not an immediate way of winning friends, but sometimes you have to say the right thing, and if it's not going to go over, it's not going to listen to you, you have to walk away, but you can't participate. The obvious tie-in, we'll end with this, is the kamsa, kamsa, where there it was good people who didn't object properly because they thought it wouldn't go over. Uh, they should have said something because you can't throw somebody out of a party if he didn't do something that wrong. We'll continue, Mitzvah